arrived January 7th, and then I think the first Sunday was January the 9th, was it? Something like that? No, my wife's saying, no, 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 no. I believe you. I believe you. She's the timekeeper and the datekeeper, so I believe whatever she says. On that first Sunday, I looked up here and I saw the beginning of New Beginnings, and I knew that that was the launch, launching pad for you, but also for the messages that the Lord wanted me to bring. And as I said just a minute ago, I like to, I like to s- finish where I started. There's something about, especially on a day like today when we're about to say goodbye, it's not about bringing a new message, it's, it's about bringing the same message. It's about bringing closure to a season. It's about, it's about hearing the voice of the Lord and then underlining it to emphasize the word, at least the word that I feel that I've been burdened with to release to you. And so the message that I have this morning is not a new word, it's the same word. <clears throat> in fact, I would say that in five months of preaching three, four, five times a week, that I've only had one message. But so often, it takes many times of bringing the same message in a variety of ways before we get the breadth and the depth of what God is saying to us. Especially when the message is not just information like on Google, you know, on a search engine, but the message is to be a revelation to the heart and do something in us so that afterwards we say, my, pers- my perspective has changed, my mindset has shifted, I see things differently now, and now I am moving in a new season of God. Because part of the beginning of new beginnings, most of the beginning of the new beginnings is what God's going to do in our own hearts. We look externally, don't we? We look at systems and we look at people who are on boards giving us leadership, which is important, of course, that we need to be praying for. But first and foremost, the message comes to us, and I believe that what God wants to bring us into this new beginning is something within us, each one of us, in our thinking, but also in our hearts. And so my message this morning is not a new one. It's the same old message, but in... In that, I will say, it will probably sound different, but yet the Lord wants to, I don't believe today the Lord is saying, I've got a new message, even though I'm doing a new thing. He's saying, I've got the same message, and I want you, I'm going to continue to bring the same message. I actually believe that when God wants to bring us into a place, that it doesn't matter who stands here, it doesn't matter who the next speaker is, chances are, they'll come with the same message. Because that's God. Isn't it wonderful that he doesn't give up, that he perseveres, that he keeps on knocking on the door, that he gets us to where he wants us to be for our benefit but for his glory. Amen. Isn't he wonderful? He's so good. And so would you take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to Deuteronomy I want to read just a few scripture verses from Deuteronomy. So Deuteronomy chapter 4, and I'm going to read a few verses starting at verse 32. Ask now about the former days, long before your time, from the day God created man on earth. Ask from one end of the heavens to the other. Has anything so great as this, anything so great as this ever happened, or has anything like it ever been heard of? Has any other people heard the voice of God speaking out of the fire as you have and lived? Has any God ever tried to take for himself one nation out of another nation by testings, by miraculous, by miraculous signs and wonders, by war, by, mighty, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, or by great and awesome deeds like all the things the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your very eyes? 
Verse 35, you were shown these things so that, underline the so that. Wherever you see it, so that in the Bible, circle it, underline it, highlight it. God's about to tell you why he did something. He did all those things so that you might know the Lord is God. Whenever God moves in this way, in a season, in a transition, and into another season, into one place from another, God moves miraculously by his power so that when we get to the place that God wants us to go to, we do not forget him. When we get comfortable, when we think, well, this is great, this is the new place, isn't this so exciting? that we don't put our lives on cruise control and begin to think that somehow where we are today, we did it in our, in our own power and our strength. That's why God from generation to generation keeps renewing the story so that this generation's testimony is not our forefathers' testimony. It's wonderful to remember what God did in the past, but I tell you what, if you are praying for the next generation to come, as Pastor John represented the next generation when he stood up here and talked, pray that God might move in their time miraculously in signs and wonders and powers so they might not live on our stories alone, but they would have their own testimony. You see, it's so easy to get to the place. We can stand here today. We can say, new beginning, new beginning. I'm so excited. It's a new beginning. But yet, when we get to the place that we're talking about today, and I don't know when it's going to come, we get to that place, and then we think, finally, it's over. We can sit down and we relax. And then before you know it, we spend all night watching the football rather than coming. Oh. When God moves in our generation, he moves in such a way that we carry a testimony and as we raise our children and we teach them, we tell of God and his mighty ways and his love and his grace and his mercy. But yet the next generation needs their own experience with God so it becomes a living testimony for them to pass on. So that when you get into the place, wherever this new beginning is going to take you, when you get to that place that you do not forget God, Besides him, there is no other. Verse 36, from heaven he made you hear his voice to discipline you. As a father loves his son, so he disciplines his son. On earth he showed you his great fire, and you heard his words out of the fire. Because he loved your forefathers and chose their descendants after them, he brought you out of Egypt. He brought you out of Egypt. He delivered them out of Egypt by, not Moses, his presence. How easy is it for us to remember the leader who led us out of a place rather than the God he represented? He brought you out of Egypt by his presence and his great strength to drive out before you nations greater and stronger than you and to bring you into their land to give it to you for your inheritance as it is today. In order to get into somewhere, you have to leave somewhere. In order to go somewhere, you need to leave where you are. They needed to leave Egypt in order to get to the promised land. And God says in that day, when the word comes, it's time to go. It's time for a new season. It's time to leave the last season. It's time to leave the last place that I led you to. We need to be willing to go in order to enter in. And so, out of Egypt and into the promised land by the presence of God. And so, let's just finish reading verse 39. Acknowledge and take to heart this day that the Lord is God in heaven and above and, above and on earth below. There is no other. There is no other. Turn to somebody and say, there is no other. Our God is the only God. There's only one God. And our God is the true and living God, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All the other gods are idols. They, they come from the imagination of man, and they're, they're made by materials in their hands, and they prop them up, but they're not gods. There is only one God, and our God is the true and living God. There is no other. Amen. 
Keep his decrees and commands, which I'm giving you today, so that it may go well with you and your, and your children after you, and that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God gives you for all time. God is leading his people. God is leading his people to a place. Sometimes he tells us where we are going. Other times, like with Abraham, he says, leave your home, leave your nation, leave your people, leave your culture, leave your food. That's hard for Malaysians. And go to that place that I have in mind for you. I want you to trust me. And Abraham says, okay, and says, by the way, God, where are we going? And God says, don't worry about it. I've got it all planned out. Sometimes he tells us where we're going, but other times he just says, will you step out in faith? Will you leave the place that I led you to, I put you in? Will you leave that place and follow me? Often when he says that to us, he gives us a promise. This is a promise. The beginning of new beginnings. It's a statement, but it's also a promise. How many of you would say this morning we have totally come into the new thing? I I would say that few of us even know what the new thing is yet. In fact, the last five months that I've been here, I have been talking about the beginning part of the new beginning, not the beginning of the new beginnings. You see, I've been talking about the first step. It's been five months that God has just been saying, will you step out? It's a process. It has to be initiated. This year is the beginning of new beginnings. It doesn't say we know when the new beginning is, we're going to come to it. In the same way, the day they stepped out of Egypt, they probably all thought the next day they would arrive in the promised land. But they didn't. It took over 40 years. And so this is the beginning of something. We believe that something is of God And when that something is of God, that means there's a place we need to leave and sometimes be delivered from before we can move forward in trust and faith and obedience and eventually sometime on God's schedule move into the place of promise. And so I want to say to you today, God has made a promise to you and when God promises because he's faithful, you can begin to celebrate today the fulfillment of the promise, yet you wait for it to be fulfilled. And I don't know about you, but that's good news. Because there's some days when I start to think, will God ever fulfill his promise in my life? I'm tempted to feel depressed or gloomy or perhaps I didn't hear the voice of the Lord or perhaps the God is not faithful But he is faithful, and he fulfills all his promises. And so while we wait, we can celebrate because we know his faithfulness will bring us into the place that he's promised. Amen? Isn't that good? Don't get too excited. Don't burn too much energy. How many of you want to be somewhere else other than where God wants you to be? You see, we need to celebrate the promise of the place that God is taking us because if we don't, then we will find something that's more exciting. Do you think the wilderness was exciting? Do you think there was a day in the wilderness that went by when the people said, this is so exciting, I hope we can stay in the wilderness forever. I just love, look, they even have Starbucks in the wilderness. As long as I have my flat panel TV screen and I've got my drinks and I've got my remote controls, I could be in the wilderness forever. You see, if we don't have a burning desire in our heart to be in the place that God wants us to be, then we will find something that seems more exciting and we will give ourselves to that and find that we've actually established ourselves in the wilderness, which was only a place that we were meant to pass through. So, the beginning of new beginnings. Isaiah 43, verse 19. Again, I have nothing new to say. This may be review. But God is saying, see, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? 
And that really is God trying to get our attention. He's saying, look, I'm doing something. I see it. I get it. It's on my heart, my mind, but I'm concerned that you don't perceive it, that you're not paying attention. Or if you are, you're undervaluing the importance of what I'm doing in this moment. You you see, so often when God speaks to us, he seeds something into us. It's like planting a, a garden when, you know, seeds for me are not that exciting. For my wife, she gets catalogs on seeds and reads them in the wintertime, getting excited about what she's going to do in the spring. For Malaysians, that probably means nothing because here you have 12 months of summer. But for us, we're four seasons in Canada, so in the winter months, when it's all cold and dark and covered with snow, we plan for the planting and then look forward to the harvest. When God speaks to us about the new beginning, the beginning of the new beginnings, the the first part of that sentence, the beginning is the seed period. It's when you start, you hear the word, you receive it in faith, and then God gives you little tiny seeds that you begin to plant, or rather he plants in you. And if you're looking for a full garden and a full harvest the day that God promises you something, then chances are you'll be disappointed. Chances are you will not be able to endure the process of the planting and the weeding and the nurture, and the care. You see, whenever God calls us to leave from one place and go to another, it's the process in between that prepares us to enter in. And if somehow we bypass the process, then even if we get to the place, we won't be able to go in and possess the land because we bypassed the very thing that was going to change us so that we were able to fully appropriate and embrace the gift that God was giving us. Everybody okay? Okay, let's keep going here. So God is doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? It's clear to me that what, there's two ways of perceiving. You see it on a natural level, with your eyes, with your ears, the senses that our God has given us. But there's a perception, of course, a spiritual discernment, and it's so important that we make a distinction between those two things. Lest we conclude through our natural senses we understand spiritual things and end up on the wrong path. And so the perception, I believe, that God wants to give us is a revelation by His Spirit of His church, that's you, on earth, and to bring you into a place the fullness, even the inheritance of the Lord that begins now, even though we inherit fully the fullness of it, we wait until we're with the Lord in heaven. So that passage in Deuteronomy, it talked about God's people coming out of Egypt, and I want to use that today as a way of talking about what I believe that God is saying to you. New beginnings. What would it be like if, if Moses stood up that day back in Egypt in the Hebrews, they were still making bricks with mud and straw. What, what would it have been like if Moses stood up that day and said to the Hebrews, guess what, Hebrews? It's the beginning of new beginnings. <laughs> you know, they would have said, oh, yeah, we've heard that all before. To Moses. There may have been some of them said, the beginning of new beginnings, well, I don't know how that's ever going to happen, but I know this one thing. we got to get out of here. We can't stay here. Let's have a new start. Hands up. How many of you would like to start all over again from scratch? Wow, look at all the hands popping up. This is not make a few changes. This is not tweaking the system. How many of you would like to just start right over from scratch? Well, that, that's what it was, was like for them. They were saying, let's get out of here. We need a, we need a new beginning. We need a new beginning. How do we start? You got to start somewhere. And their expectations, as I said already, was probably leave today, arrive tomorrow. I think everybody in this room at one time or another has taken an international flight, right? Most people. Anybody ever not been on an airplane yet? Okay, buy that man a ticket. 
Because Jane and I have had the privilege and opportunity to travel uh, for years now internationally, it's, it's not uncommon for us to get on an airplane and, and fly uh, 10, 12. Uh, we haven't done 14 hours yet, but we've been on a 13-hour flight, direct, nonstop. You know, I'm old enough to say that back in the day, we didn't have planes that did that. But we've been on those long-distance flights where you can watch six videos and the plane still hasn't landed. But nevertheless, no matter how long the flight, we're usually, by the time we leave, we've reached our destination, even if it's just the arrivals in the airport, we've done that in 24 hours. Here, the people of Israel are leaving Egypt, the Hebrews are leaving Egypt and I don't know, I, perhaps they didn't expect that Moses was going to lead them into the promised land in 24 hours, but maybe they thought a week, or they thought a month, or they thought, ah, we can do six weeks. I mean, let's give it a go. Three months, we can do this. Ah, up to a year after that, eh, time's getting tight, eh, we'll see. When they left, their expectation was that they would probably get there sooner than later sooner than later. Let me tell you this with regard to the beginning of new beginnings for you. It takes longer to, the, to leave than it does to arrive. You see, the day they leave the Egypt, the day, rather the day they left Egypt was not the day they left. It was the day they started to leave. It was not the day they left. It was the day they started to leave. But the starting to leave means you've taken one, you're one step closer to arriving. I believe that in this last five months, all that God has been speaking about is, will you take the step to start to leave? Leaving, there's always in a new beginning, there's something old that has to be left behind. And so on that day, they probably had expectations that they would arrive quickly, but they had no idea, probably Moses didn't either, that it would take as long as it did. But they did the most important thing on that day, and that was they took one step towards Canaan, the promised land. So, in between leaving and arriving, there's something else. It's called process. It's called process, or the journey. We like to, as, as following Jesus, we like to talk about it perhaps as the walk of faith. So, we tend to be so focused on the arriving somewhere that we undervalue the process, which is so key to preparing us so that we might not only arrive well, but that we might be able to fully embrace the place, the new season that God is giving to us. And so, I want to talk for a few minutes just about process. If you're making notes, this is note 103. The journey from somewhere to somewhere is a process we need to go through to be able to enter in well once we have arrived. There's always a to somewhere and a from somewhere. You know, over the years as I've counseled people, and they say, well, you know, I, wanna, I don't like this town. I don't like my job. You know, sometimes they want to leave other things too, which I don't want to talk about this morning. But they're always saying, I want to leave this place. And I'll say, well, that's fine. Perhaps that's God. I'm happy to, to, to discern that with you, pray with you. But do you know where you're going to? And I'm always surprised that when people want to leave from somewhere, they've rarely thought about where they're leaving to. They just want to get out. And so, whenever we start a process like this, we need to understand what we're leaving, but also what we're leaving to, where we're leaving from and where we're leaving to, and that what happens in between the departure lounge and the arrivals lounge is a process that God is going to bring us through in order for us to fully enter in. If we're not committed to the process, if we don't understand God's design and how he works, then we will troubleshoot this whole thing in between to arrive here as, as fast as we possibly can, which is usually more for our comfort than it is for 
his work in us to, tr- to, to transform our hearts and our minds. Process. The journey allows us to transition from old to new. Let me say that again. The journey. Are you committed to the journey? Sometimes it's painful. I mean, most of the time when I'm in the pain moment of the journey, the hard part of the journey, I say, God, please help me. Just get this over with. That's a natural thing to do because none of us like to be uncomfortable. But the point is this, is sometimes we're asking God to remove us out of a process that's the very thing we need. You've gone very, very quiet. We ask God to take us out of something that he wants to let us go through because it's going to bring about a refinement, a purification. We'll be refined by a fire so that our faith may be purer than gold, silver or gold. But we, without understanding, ask God to remove us from that process so that our faith would still be like the old coal that came out of the ground. The journey, the process, allows us to transition. Anybody heard that word lately, transition? Been here for five months. Transition, 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 transition from the old to the new. To process the past season before, uh, from before beginning the new. To process the past season before beginning the new. To, listen carefully to this, to disengage from Egypt so that we will be ready to enter the promised land. I don't know whether you've ever heard of this saying, but it's easier to get a man out of Egypt than it is to get Egypt out of the man. The fact that you leave a place doesn't mean that you've been set free. The mean that The moment that you turn your back on an old season saying we're doing something new doesn't mean that the old season is out of you. It doesn't mean, and that's what the process is for. The process, the transition, the journey. It can be wonderful, but it can also be very hard and challenging, even painful, that the process is intended to bring us to a place of refinement that prepares us for what God is going to do. That's the ouch part of this. This is a wonderful slogan, beautifully done with great graphics, splashed all over the walls. I've got a calendar with this picture of it at the place that we're staying. It's wonderful, and it makes me feel good. But then I think about how am I going to get to this new thing that God's doing, and I realize that in between, there's all this other stuff. The wonderful thing about process is that God is with us in it all. He goes through the waters with us. And when we're in the fire, we will not be burned because he's there in the furnace with us. Jesus, present. He comes into the yoke, up underneath the yoke that we're carrying, and he positions himself, and then he stands up, and as he stands up, he lifts the weight of the yoke that's on our shoulders and and he says, don't leave the yoke, but now I'll carry the burden for you. Isn't he wonderful? So along the way, how are we doing here for time? Oh, look at that. The clock's gone out. I have the rest of the afternoon. Along the way, in our journey, in our process, there are gates. I want to talk about gates for a few minutes. In order to like the children of Israel, like the Hebrews, in order to cross over, they needed to cross through. In order to cross over from Egypt into Canaan, they needed to cross through. They needed to go through some gates. Gates are, for the note takers, get your pens ready, here we go. Gates are our key to transition. In other words, if you want, if you feel that God's called you into a transition time, look for the gates. They are key to entering into the places where God wants you to be. Key, gates are keys. Gates are either, think about gates in real life, gates are either opened, right, or they're closed. Gates are either opened or they're closed. 
gates either let us in or they let us out. In Canada, because of our harsh winters, the farmers have to, we have these big barns. You don't see them in New Zealand because they have moderate temperatures in their sheep and their cattle just graze all year round. But in Canada, our winters are so harsh that we have to take our cattle and our sheep and we put them in barns. So in the springtime, and we feed them in the barns, and then finally in the springtime, we let them out. And if you've ever seen it on, oh, on the, video, the videos on the net or on television, that when they let the sheep out and the cattle, they, they jump up and down. They, you know, they throw their feet in the air and it's like you can hear them saying, yippee, you know, I'm out. There is a gate that keeps them in, and until the gate is opened, they stay in. But once the gate is open, and if it's a God gate and he opens it, then it's time to go out. Trouble is that sometimes they've been in there so long that even once the gate is open, the farmer has to send the dog in to push them out because even though something's been opened to them, they like staying in the old stinky barn. Gates. Let us in, and they let us out. They give us access to other places, to other things that God wants to bring us to in the realm of a spirit. Gates either keep us in, or they keep us out. They restrict us. So it's either about access, or it's about restriction. I think the best example of this is in Acts chapter 16, verses 6 to 10. When the Apostle Paul is trying to get into Bithynia and Asia uh, to, uh, to these different places. And uh, he can't get in. And he goes this way and he can't get in. The door, the gate is shut. And in one place it says the Holy Spirit kept him from going to that place. And then it says again, the Spirit of Jesus. Can you imagine if you were trying to do something and God spoke to you audibly and said, I'm stopping you from going. This is the Spirit of Jesus. I mean, if God said that to me, I'd go, okay, okay. But yet he was trying to go here, he was trying to go there. The doors were shut to him. Then finally there was the dream of the man from Macedonia who was saying, we need your help, come over here. Woke up from the dream, understanding it was from God. It says the very next day they woke up, prepared themselves, and off they went to Macedonia. It was in their journey a gate that was open. And so often what happens, we see all these gates and we assume that each one of those gates are gates that we are supposed to go through. But no, there was only one gate that Paul, at that time, that Paul needed to go through. And he needed to go through the process of trying, but then waiting on the Lord until the Lord made it clear. That, I believe, is key to what the Lord is leading you to. This is about you this morning, not about Paul. This is about the future of Grace Assemblies. This is about the body of Christ, the church, because God's heart is for his people. God's heart is for his people from generation to generation. And though we pass, he continues because he's everlasting, he's eternal. Until his work is finished on earth, he will continue to raise up another generation that will carry the torch of his testimony. They will go through those gates and find themselves in the promised land, the place of promise that God wants them to be. And so, gates. There are man-made gates and there are God gates. Let me say that again. Get my tongue untwisted. There are man-made gates and there are God-made gates. And it's your job to discern between which one they are. So out of Egypt, what was God's gate? The Red Sea. The Red Sea was a gate. That's all it was. They had to go through it. To cross over, they had to go through. Crossing over, crossing through. It was a gate. It was the gate. Not a gate. It was the gate. They could have gone around, right? In our troubleshooting ways, we say, oh, we'll just work around this. You know, it would have taken them extra time, and then Pharaoh's armies, horses and chariots would have caught up to them, and they would have all been slaughtered, and that would have been the end of the story. Or they could have, I don't know, found some sticks and decided to make a, an airplane and fly across the Red Sea. Of course, that wouldn't have worked. 
But there they were. They were facing an impasse. They were facing a gate that they had to go through in order to enter into a new place. It was the gate, not a gate. It was not a choice. It was an inevitability. The God gate, the only one door. And you know what God did? He took something that looked like an impossibility and with Moses one hand lifted up and his staff outstretched over the waters, the waters parted and the people of God, the Hebrews, they crossed over on dry land. You see, when God calls us into new things, he takes us through gates of impossibilities so that we might see his miraculous power and know him in that way. It is what establishes us, not it saves us in the moment, but it establishes us in the land when we get there. Oh, God forbid that we go through this journey without seeing his power. God forbid that we go through the, 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 the walk with God without seeing signs and wonders and miracles because that's the way as he leads us to that place. First of all, we conclude we wouldn't have gotten there unless it was for God. And second of all, when we get to the place where we might forget him, it causes us for the rest of our days to remember him. And so, I'm not sure where you're going. I'm not sure what the new beginning is yet. You've taken a step forward. You take, on the day they left Egypt, they only needed to take one step to get the process going. But it took 40 years later before they got there. But in that process, they saw God. They experienced God. They went through a gate. The gate was the Red Sea. You know, it's interesting, in a minute before I'm done, maybe five minutes, maybe ten, um, we're going to talk about when they crossed over, finally through the wilderness, and they got to uh, the Jordan, and they crossed over on dry land, that both, both of those are gates. The Red Sea and the Jordan River are gates. And in both cases, God parted the waters so that they would walk over on dry land. This is, may seem strange to you, but both the Red Sea and the River Jordan, the crossings there, were baptisms. And you go, wait a minute here. What kind of a baptism is that? I mean, usually baptism, there's going to be a baptism, uh, is it today? Four o'clock, is it? Somebody know? Four o'clock, so there's going to be a baptism today. And you know what baptism is, is that we, you go down into the waters to identify with your death, with, with Jesus on the cross, and that when we come up out of the waters, our sins are washed away, we identify with his resurrection, we celebrate the, the new birth we have. So where's the water in this? Nobody's going under the water. The baptism, the baptism, I believe, of the Red Sea and of the Jordan was a baptism of fire. I believe it was a baptism of going through a divine portal that God had opened up to them so that they would be brought into the place, not just delivered from Egypt. We're not talking about Egypt now. We're talking about delivered into, not out of, into the promised land. How many of you are ready for a fiery baptism? Three hands just went up. We need to work on that one. You see, the fiery baptism is usually not outside of the context of the challenge. The fiery baptism is rare when we're sitting at home and feeling comfortable. The rare, the, it's rare that the baptism of fire comes just because we've said, I want the fire. There is an anointing that feels fiery, but that's not what we're talking about. And so, the Red Sea was the gateway that God wanted them to go through. Let me tell you something here. Man always looks for an easy crossing. But man, but rather God looks for a man who sees no way of crossing, but continues to move forward in faith. God looks for the easy way. God looks for the man who says, this is too hard for me, but I'm going to continue to move forward because I know who you are and I know your promises. That's the kind of people that you need to be in order to actually move into this new beginning. He's not going to just give it to you. He's going to require that you have a level of faith 
to see the impossible, and rather than give up, you say, we're doing this today. Whether we drown in the waters or whether he parts them and we walk through on dry land, one way or another, we're going through this because we believe that this is the way that God is leading us. Are you willing to go through the gate this morning? You know, it's not too late. You can turn back and go back to Egypt if you want. They still got your room and your bed. They haven't rented it out yet. And at one point, God's people did say to Moses, this is too hard. Why did you ever bring us into the wilderness? If I'd ever known that you were going to do this, this, protest, this, this process is way too di- difficult. Let's go back to Egypt. Let's go back to grace assemblies the way it used to be 40 years ago. God is moving on. God is moving his people forward. There's another generation that he's raising up. It's a new day, but it's not about us and our process. It's about God and his process and whether we're willing to go through it. Whether we're willing to allow the baptism of fire to prepare us fully so that we can enter in and possess, make it our own, the thing that he's given to us. God makes a gateway when there isn't one. Write it down. God makes a gateway when there isn't one. If you're looking for one that you can see with your eyes, chances are it's not the one he's about to reveal. God makes a gateway when there isn't one. They didn't look at the Red Sea and see it as a gate. They saw it as as an obstacle. God looked at it and said, this is a gate. God will change our eyes. He will change our perspective so we will see things differently. And we'll say, wait, this is not actually Goliath who's standing in our way that we need to slay. This is a gift from God that's going to increase our faith, give him an amazing testimony, and we'll end up on the other side. And not only that, the waters will come in and then all the king's horses and all the king's men will go in the water again. The gate is a gate of deliverance, not a gate of arrival. In this case, it was their process of leaving Egypt so that they might then face the Jordan another day, which would be the gate, the arrival gate in God's airport. In every season... And every transitional season, and I'm making a distinction between those two things. So there are seasons where we're in a place and we dwell. It could be for generations. It could be for years. There's a season where we're in one place and we're doing one thing, and then all of a sudden God starts to move again, whether it's the cloud by day or the the fiery pillar by night, and it's time to move again with God. You know the story. It's still true today for us. And whether it's a, a, a season where it seems that we're in one place doing one thing or whether it's a tr- what I call a transitional season where it's time, this is, to me, screaming of transition. That in every season, God appoints leaders. In every season. I am a firm believer of God-appointed, God-anointed leaders. I have been in groups with believers that because they've been hurt and because they've been wounded and because they've been abused, they never want a leader again. They want everybody to be on the same playing field. They don't want any leadership. They do everything by committee. And in order to come into unity, you lower your, your expectations to the lowest possible level to find some agreement. That is not the way of God. God, in every season, he appoints leaders. They're God-anointed, they are God-appointed. And so I personally am absolutely convinced and convicted that the church, in order to go forward, needs to know who the leader is. Leaders, because there's not just one. But before I talk more about this, I want to say a couple things. There's only one king, and his name is Jesus. God's people said, give us a king so we can be like the other nations. If you think that getting a new leader means you want a new king, then you've already 
taken the wrong step away from what God has in mind. There's only one king, and his name is Jesus. And we confuse often our loyalties to friends and to leaders with an allegiance to the king of kings. Don't let your loyalty to a leader confuse your allegiances that Jesus demands. He is the king. The Bible says this, that Jesus is the head of the church. That means there can be no other head except Jesus. And so for me, I believe the way I see the scriptures, and some may disagree, that you can be an elder, you can be a pastor, you can be a leader, you can be on this and that, but you're still part of the body, you're not the head. Because there's only one head, and it's Jesus. And he may speak to his leaders about what's in his heart and his mind. We should expect so. We want to pray that that happens, and that they lead us according to an alignment with God's heart and mind. But there's only one king, and his name is Jesus, and he is the head of his church. He is the great shepherd. And he will send, I believe, to the flock those with a shepherd's heart, because first and foremost... His heart is for his people. His heart is for his people. Let me say this. There is no leader that God has loved more than he loves his people. He loved David. After his own heart, he loved David. But I believe that God's love for David was not greater than his love for his people. There is no, let me say it again, there is no leader that God has loved more than he loves his people. If this were not so, then God would not have appointed a leader to lead his people to follow. Leadership is for the sake of the people. People who are appointed to lead, God appoints them for the people's sake. Not to take advantage of the people and say, I've got this idea of what I want to do. Now I'm going to, you're going to be my resource pool that I'm going to pull from. And we do do that within a balance. But what I'm saying this morning is that in this beginning of new beginnings, this process, this transition that you're going through, you should expect that God is going to appoint and anoint leadership to this transition time. But that in that, his heart is for you. That his desire is to make himself known to you. It's to raise up a people for himself. Leadership is about who follows. And if you call yourself a leader and you look behind you and there's nobody following you, then you better think again. I believe you're at a time, a transitional time, a critical time, where the right people in the right place, God is going to reveal to you. But just like the gates, they need to be discerned. And I believe that God will give the discernment to those who are humble of heart, who bow low, who seek him, and say, Lord, we want what you want. You see, this whole process that we're in right now is actually a realignment, if you will, of our hearts and our minds to what's in God's heart and God's mind. One of my favorite speakers, and I won't tell you who he is in case you don't like him. One of my favorite speakers says this, He says, I don't want to believe anything. I don't want to think anything about myself that's not in the heart or the mind of Jesus about me. In fact, he goes on and he says this, I cannot afford to think anything about myself if it's not in the heart and mind of Jesus about me. This is the day, this is the moment we are in. This is a critical moment. And so when God says, I'm going to realign your heart and mind, with my heart and my mind, that means he's preparing us to move forward. Alignment is what allows the arrow, once it's shot from the bow, to meet its target in a true and complete way. Moses, transitional leadership. Moses Who was Moses? What was Moses? Well, he was a deliverer. He was a deliverer out of Egypt. He represented God in authority and power. When he stood before Pharaoh, he was representing God. He was not representing himself. True leadership understands that every time they get up and speak, they should never come with opinion, and they should always come with an alignment with God's mind and heart, so when they speak, it's with God's authority and power. Moses was the deliverer. He was raised up for an out season. Who's Joshua? Joshua is a deliverer. Surprised? 
Why you think, wait just a minute, I thought Moses was the deliverer. No, what happens when somebody sends you a parcel or a letter in the post? It comes to the post office and then the post, do you call it post here? Post? Then the postman gets the package and what does he do? He delivers it to you. See, Moses and Joshua are in the same transition. It's just that Moses is at the beginning of it, and Joshua is at the other end of it. But they're both deliverers. Moses is delivering them out of Egypt. Joshua is delivering them into the promised land. They're both deliverers, raised by God, anointed and appointed by God for that season and for that purpose. For that purpose. Going out, Moses stood with one hand in the air and his staff raised over. That's Exodus 14, by the way, verses 15 and 16, if you want to look, uh, look it up later. So there was Moses, at first on his own, with his hand lifted up and his staff raised. And of course, they needed to all go through, say all. They needed to all go through, say all. They needed to all go through. That means nobody would be left behind. Nobody would be left behind. Until all went through, he stood there with his arm raised and his staff over the waters. And because he was growing tired, those came around him and held up his arms until the last one went through. That was Moses, a picture of one man moving and representing God's authority and power. But let's talk about Joshua very quickly. And I am coming to a close. Somebody say, oh, thank God. I thank him all the time. The going out picture is of one leader with the authority and power over the waters to deliver God's people, the gateway that opens up God's chosen, the gateway, not a gateway, for them to go through so that they might be baptized in fire. For Moses, before going in, in other words, what happened in the wilderness. What happened in the transition time? What happened in this process? Well, let me tell you some of the things that happened. The Ten Commandments were given. Not, not too shabby, right? That's pretty important. Ten Commandments were given. What happened in between? Instructions for the tabernacle were given. What else? The Ark of the Covenant was built, and the presence of God filled it. The, Levit the Levitical priesthood was instituted, and so on. This didn't happen in Egypt, and it didn't happen in the Promised Land. It happened in the in-between in part. I can't wait to see what your in-betweens look like. There's a God story in that. Everybody, the, there's a God story to be written of God, what God's going to do in your transition. Just remember when it hurts and you don't like it and you're going, ouch, and say, I didn't sign up for this. I think I'll get out of here. Just remember that God is trying to birth something in and through his church. And so they didn't come out of Egypt with that, but somewhere in the wilderness, these things were given and established so that when they got to the River Jordan, God spoke to Joshua and said, tell the priests now... Them, the priests, see there's a big shift here where we go from one man representing the power and authority to God where there's a priesthood now with a leader. A leader with priests. Um, by the way, uh, just I want to make sure we honor everybody here today. Are there any priests in the house? Well, wait, it's just wrong question. Let's start with this. Any believers in the house today? Okay, any disciples of Jesus in the house today? Okay, how many, dis how many priests of the living God do we have in the house today? Woo! A great leader, Joshua! But now it's the priests that go into the water. Not Moses' hand or Moses' rod. It's the priesthood that sent in, carrying the presence stand in the waters. It was flood time. The waters would have normally washed them away, but when the first little tippy-toe of the first priest went in, boom, the waters just went from one side to another. There was dry ground, and they, they stood there in the riverbed, and it says that until all the people went through, that they remained there. And once everybody together passed 
into the promise. Only then could they come out so that the waters could return. It says one other thing in that passage, and we don't have time to go through it tonight. When they left Egypt, they left as Hebrew slaves. When they got, walked into the promised land, that is the, the gateway of the Jordan on Canaan's ground, on the other side of Gilgal, it says in the scripture that they came through as a nation. What happened here? Ten Commandments, the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, and somehow from there to here, from leaving to arriving, they became a nation chosen by God, a holy nation, the people of God, the, God, the people that God chosen in the land that he ushered them into. This is the promise of God. He has something for us. In every generation, he's moving us forward into something in his heart and his mind. We don't want to hang on to what we have if it's time to leave a place or an idea or a thought or something that we, can, we give umbrage to, we think is precious, but it ends up being a sacred cow because in that season it was God, but he says, I'm done on this, move into this area now, we move into it. All this happened in the transition, the in-between part. They had to go through it. It was a baptism of fire. They had to go through those gates. And in the same way that he parted the waters of the Red Sea, he parts the waters of the Jordan River so that all his people might remember and say, oh my goodness, this is God. He links the two seasons together so they become one. And so they're not lost in historical interpretation that it is the same God in the same season of transition completing the work he set out to do and fulfilling his promise. Joshua chapter 5, verse 9, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I've rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. Isn't it interesting that all those years ago, that day they stepped out, that first step out of Egypt, they thought, oh, this is great. We're going to arrive next week in the new place. Or they stepped out of Egypt and said, I'm free. They had no idea what freedom felt like or looked like. If they had had any idea it was going to take 40 years to leave Egypt, they might have just said, forget it, I'll just stay there. I'll put up with this. I'd rather have this than go through the process. But for those who stepped out, and it was all of them, they went through the process, and some died in the wilderness. And that's why they got to Gilgal, that the, the ones that had been born in the, in the wilderness had to be circumcised in order to enter into covenant relationship with the living God. But isn't it interesting that it wasn't until they had crossed through the waters, they were on Canaan's land, it wasn't until then that they left Egypt. The reproach of Egypt, all those years later, was finally, finally rolled away. You are at the beginning of new beginnings. You are at the start of a journey. You don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. But if we know that God has spoken it to us, then we need to step up in faith Believing that as we go forward in whatever process this is going to be, there's something about it that is preparing us for what God is bringing us into. Not just to go into for a visit or a vacation, but for us to possess, for us to own. And I believe that along the way in the journey that God is going to do miraculous things by His Spirit so that we might know Him and so that when we get into that place that He wants us to be, that we will not forget Him. Today, I believe... That as we take a step forward from something, we've taken the first step to something. But in between, we need to be committed to the process that God wants to bring us through so that one, we might know who, who he is, two, that we might know who we are, and three, then when we get to the place that he wants us to be, we will have everything we need to possess the land. I want to end with this last comment. It's not a comment, it's a belief, it's a truth. And again, 
I end where I started. There are two desires on God's heart. From the book of Genesis to the end of the book of Revelation, there are two things that thread throughout all the Scripture, and those two things are this. That God, that God wants a people for himself. God wants a people for himself. On earth, he wants a people for himself. You are that people in Christ. You are that people. And second, he wants a place on earth to dwell with his people. Not in heaven. A place on earth to dwell with his people. He's got a place. We'll join him there one day. But he wants a place on earth to dwell with his people. And so he has made us to be in Christ his dwelling place. From the book of Revelation to the last page, the last verse of the book of Revelation, God has a desire for a people that he can declare his name over in a place that he can be with them, that we can be with him as one. I believe in Christ. The journey that's ahead of you is to come into a deeper revelation of who he is as we understand who he's made us to be to be the dwelling place of God upon the earth. Amen? Amen.